This episode of The Minimalists is brought to you by nobody, because advertisements suck. The Minimalists. <laughs> Every little thing you think that you need Every little thing you think that you need Every little thing that's just feeding your greed Oh, I bet that you'd be fine without it Hello, simpletons. Welcome to the Minimalist Podcast, where we discuss what it means to live a meaningful life with less. My name is Joshua Fields Milburn. And I'm Ryan Nicodemus, and together we are the Minimalists. Now, Ryan, there is a reason if you're watching this on YouTube right now. By the way, we have a new YouTube channel. It's uh, I think it's The Minimalist Podcast on YouTube. We separated our, our YouTube channels. We have shorter minimalism videos, and we have the podcast channel. You can subscribe to both if you'd like, or subscribe to neither, whatever you want to do. But anyway, Ryan, there is a reason that I'm down on one knee right now. <laughs> Today, we're going to talk about getting married. Well, not the two of us. Oh. No, I'm sorry. Man. <laughs> well, you know, boy can hope. <laughs> and we're going to talk about everything that's involved in tying the knot, debt, expenses, expectations, responsibilities, ceremonies, outfits, wedding guests, and so much more. Who's ceremony? <laughs> 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 oh, that's a, that's a typo. I'm at Jessica Bishop. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I, I figured. Uh, we, by the way, we have Jessica here, uh, the bu- the budget savvy bride. Uh, you can find her website, thebudgetsavvybride.com. She's also on Instagram and Twitter. We'll put a link to both of those in the show notes. Jess, thanks for being here today. Thanks so much for having me. I've been looking forward to this for such a long time. Us too. You, you're the best person that we could bring in for this yes. because Ryan and I are the worst people that you could bring in for this. We get questions about it all the time. <laughs> right people ask us about minimalist weddings and and you know i about 10 years ago i said i'm gonna stop going to weddings and i've broken that promise to myself three times in the last decade wow that's quite a line in the sand to draw well i I really dislike going to weddings there's Hmm. something about the formality it's just it's probably my ocd there's something wrong with me it's not you it's me and and so what i realized 10 years ago is like hey i don't want to keep doing i've tried it out I don't want to keep doing things that I dislike. Mm-hmm. And so I'm going to stop doing this thing I dislike because I'm not getting something out of it myself. And I felt like that it was, in fact, I was maybe a negative presence on the ceremony if I really, if I felt a disdain for it. However, um, I met my lovely wife, uh, Bex, and both of her siblings have gotten married since we've met. And so I've been to both of those weddings. Uh, also, we went to our friend Colin Wright's sister's wedding randomly. Oh, yeah, that's right. And uh, like happy passing through or something. Yeah, yeah. And they invited us to go in Columbia, Missouri yeah. to, to this wedding. And we got Matt's wedding next year. I know. That's my fourth <laughs> exception. Yeah. And then I think, I, in fact, I dislike weddings so much that I didn't even have a wedding for my own marriage, right? <laughs> I, I decided that, like, that, that wasn't for me. And, and, and Bex, we decided this together, obviously. And, but, I realized that my situation, although we can talk about my situation, we could talk about Ryan's situation, yeah. we could talk about your situation. Uh, I, and I realized that ours isn't necessarily a broad recipe for everyone. It may work for some people, but we have some broader advice from your book, which I'll hold up here for YouTube, The Budget Savvy Wedding Plan- Planner and Organizer. So um, a bunch of like worksheets and questions that you ask people that people actually don't think a lot about their wedding. It just sort of begins to metastasize, 
and all of a sudden you're I, I remember this with my my first marriage is i was just sort of nodding my head uh-huh yeah, uh -huh. yeah i'll take on that debt okay right uh -huh. and throw another Ooh, thousand i can't at wait it. to talk more about that yeah. well let, let's talk a bit about about this because I, first of all, before we get into our, our audience questions today i wanted to ask you what are the most common questions and sort of objective uh, objections that you get about minimalist weddings or having simple weddings or budget-friendly weddings? I think the thing that people tend to um, have like this fear of judgment of other people. And so there's all these expectations, right? From your family, your friends, your social group, like social media only adds to it, I think, mm. as well. And so there's this like feeling that if they plan something small and inexpensive or or even just affordable for their own personal budget that they might face judgment or mm. um you know have other people think that they were cheap mm. that's that's the question that often comes up in my facebook group i have a very active facebook group of like thirteen thousand uh brides and grooms who are going through this process and mm. And that's one thing that consistently comes up is, is this tacky? Is this going to look cheap? Mm. Uh, I think there's a lot of kind of fear of that judgment. Wow. Um, that's when it comes to planning. It's so unfortunate. Like you, you can't even think about you and your bride that day. You have to think about what your family and their family and what all your friends are going to think about the wedding instead of focusing on what really matters. Yeah. It seems, uh, seems like a really bad distraction, I guess. Isn't that a metaphor for life that we're often focusing on the things that well it maybe is a better way to put it here's something pithy for you sean that you can tweet is uh it, we we sacrifice what we want to get what we want now mm. and sometimes we want the approval of other people so we're willing to sacrifice the the wedding that you know me and my spouse might want to appease other people and by the way we're spending money we don't have to impress these people we may never see again i mean there's so many yeah. people that came to my wedding that I have never seen since. <laughs> I, in fact, if you show Same. me pictures, yeah, yeah, there you go. Yeah. You, if you look at pictures from the wedding, I'm like, who is that person? Yeah. Did they, they they crashed my wedding. <laughs> Jess, let me let wow. me talk to you about um, questions that people ask. You've got this this huge Facebook group of brides and grooms. What are some of the the main questions that people begin to ask when they are trying to be more intentional with with their wedding? Um, I think really just about how to lay a framework, you know, for making their decisions. And it's something that I outlined in like the first chapter of my book. It asks a lot of questions about like, what are your intentions for planning a wedding? What are your goals? What sort of vision do you have for your day? How do you want to feel on that day? Do you want to feel overwhelmed and stressed and frazzled because you've tried to DIY everything yourself? Do you want to feel calm and present and know that everything's taken care of mm. because you chose to downsize and have a small intimate wedding that's mm -hmm. a bit more simple to set up and you have that sort of sense of calm and peace. Um, so that's something that I really encourage couples to do is really sit down and take the time to discuss all of those things when it comes to your expectations, your desires for the day, what's the intention of it and to really keep the focus on the fact that the wedding itself is just a party. The yeah. marriage doesn't need the party. Right. Um, and so really focusing more on your relationship and keeping that at the center of everything that you're doing, I think is super important. You just yeah. gave me a huge realization. I think maybe the reason I hate weddings is I hate parties. <laughs> <laughs> That's and, what I was thinking, dude. It's the crowd of people that you 
don't like. Right. And, and um, well, I don't mind being the center of attention. Obviously, um, I have a podcast. It's always, <laughs> I want it to be on my terms, right? And <laughs> and uh, there's something about a wedding that doesn't seem... But, however, I think you're illustrating a great point, Jess. What you're saying here is that, yes, this is a party, and it is a party for the marriage, but you don't have to let other people dictate what that party is going to look like. You're not going to their party. Right. You're creating your own. And so you, you can do that however you'd like. If you want to go, if you want to do it in Italy with 12 people, then that's an option. And we could talk about ways that, that to make that affordable and make sure you don't go into debt for that. Or if you want to have a traditional ceremony in a Southern Baptist church, then that's great too. If that, if that, that's the route you want to take, but, Think of it in a way where it is your party for your marriage, not a party for someone else. Yeah, I think that so many people get caught up in trying to please other people and managing the expectations of their family and friends, especially when you have family members who are contributing financially Mm. to the wedding fund. Um, That kind of gives them a little bit of license to exert their opinion uh into yeah. the situation and i would so, say so if, you, if you're going to take someone's money yeah, yeah. then then there, it's probably there are going to be strings attached there's no such thing as a free lunch right right, right. it's yeah. not a donation it's a contribution but they probably have some expectations of things that they want to share their input on in exchange for those dollars <laughs> yeah so, so what i'm hearing wow. you say is be careful about who you take money from because they're going to have influence over the ceremony absolutely yeah well we do have some questions here before we get into those though where do people where do people often go wrong with their wedding planning where do they go wrong i think like getting influenced by outside people um and playing into those expectations from family and friends i really think that if the two of you are really, really clear. And that's why setting that foundation, I think, is so important because you kind of create almost like a mission statement for your wedding. And Mm. you can just kind of like refer back to that framework throughout your planning process and say, does this decision, does this expense, does this choice reflect the day that we want to have, that we Mm. want to have? Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, learning to set boundaries with the people who might be contributing financially or, you know, discussing you know, the expectations of what you are and aren't willing to accept their, uh, I don't know, feedback on, you know, and in some cases, like it's going to be a difference of opinion, especially when you're dealing with like older family members who might be more traditional, but you and your partner are a bit bit more modern and a Mm -hmm. bit more, you know, laid back perhaps Mm -hmm. than what they might be used to. And so I think it's a really wonderful thing now that couples are really making their weddings their own. They're making them much more, I don't know, relaxed and comfortable and and not so stuffy and formal. Like mm-hmm. you were saying, like, I think it's it's wonderful that there's been a bit of a casualization of weddings. Yeah. 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 I think one of the mistakes I made was the allowing the inertia to carry me forward. Like, OK, we've uh, decided to get married and uh, this is my, my first marriage. And, and I we were just like, hey, all right, well, then you do the things you're supposed to do, right? And, and for me, the, the most common mistake that I, I see people do is they're just not intentional. It, it's it's absorbing everyone else's input and, and not being really clear on what you want it to look like. I remember the day I showed up, you know, Ryan was there, he was in my wedding party mm-hmm. and um, 
Bolton? Oh, wait, no, we didn't do <laughs> no, that. Yeah we, yeah, we didn't do anything the second time. <laughs> no, yeah. I signed a life insurance contract the second time. <laughs> um, no, and, and so the, the, um, at the the ceremony itself like i showed up and i was just like oh like i guess this is it like right. i didn't really have a whole lot of input like we didn't sit down uh, and, and use a resource like your book for example to get really clear on what we wanted what do we want this day to to look like it's what our friend chris hogan says dreaming in high definition mm. and yeah, I think really, I mean, if you want your dream wedding, you have to get really clear, high definition clear yeah. on what you want the day to look like. What are your expectations? More important, what are your standards that, that you want to adhere to? Not what are someone else's standards, because if you try to uh, appease and please, and not, not that you want people to be negatively influenced or impacted by your wedding. Right. You, but if you try to appease all 200 people who are going to be there, you're going to end up appeasing no one. Yeah. yeah. One of the biggest mistakes I can think of I've seen people make is going into massive amounts of debts for their wedding. And it leads back to what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. It's they want to make sure that they have the perfect wedding through everyone else's eyes. They're, you know, thinking about what it's going to look like on the gram. And that <laughs> yeah. is like the wrong reason so or true. yeah, the wrong motivation to plan to plan your wedding. It is my opinion that you should never go into debt for anything other than a mortgage. Right. That would include a wedding. Yeah. I agree. Uh, yeah. and, and I just think that it's, uh, it, you know, it, it's a huge expense for a lot of people and if you want to spend it you need to be able to afford yeah. that money and so if you're going to spend 30 grand on a wedding what's the average wedding these days it is around 33 34,000 <gasps> which is wow. insane to me so i take a really hard hard stance on not taking out any sort of debt for a wedding wow. honestly because an another point that i bring up in that introductory chapter to the book is thinking about you know, beyond the wedding day. Obviously, mm. the wedding day is very special. It's very important. It's one of the only days in your life where you're going to be surrounded by all the people who matter the most to you. It yeah. can be really meaningful and impactful, but it's easy to, you know, let those outside influences, you know, cause mm. you to feel the pressure, per perhaps, to overspend. But when you do that and you fail to stick to a budget that you can realistically afford, you're basically stealing from your future selves and all of those goals and dreams you have for your actual lives together after the wedding day. Yeah. yeah. That's nightmares in high definition. Yeah. <laughs> Debt is, is a high definition nightmare. Oh my God. We've got some questions here. Yeah. Let's start with Carly in Blackwood, New Jersey. Is it possible to have a minimalist wedding that still allows you to invite a good amount of people for folks with large families and such? If so, what compromises need to be made and what alternative options exist that people may not know about? Carly, first off, thanks for being a Patreon supporter. We yeah. certainly appreciate that. So to start with the minimalist wedding side of the question, just tell me, I mean, a minimalist wedding doesn't necessarily mean having two people there i mean you could especially in this time that we're i was gonna say maybe COVID times that would make sense <laughs> yeah so maybe zoom weddings are a thing yeah. now i i'm assuming Absolutely. that is in these COVID times i i like to call it the pandemic pivot mm. couples are kind of given the option of a few different scenarios at this point depending on where they are in the country obviously um they can either choose to just elope and get married on their original wedding date or they can um you know, potentially do like a backyard thing with just their immediate family, or they can, you know, um, postpone to a later date. Mm -hmm. But when it comes to a an actual minimalist wedding, and you're talking about having a bigger wedding when you are able to have more people, mm -hmm. I think one of the best things that you can do is to just keep 
everything simple, mm-hmm. you know? When when it comes to decor, that's where a lot of the cost adds up. Also with with catering is, is one of the bigger expenses. Catering and alcohol is mm-hmm. typically uh, a big, big chunk, like up to 50% of your budget in some wow. cases. And so... Um, that that's really the biggest challenge is feeding and watering everybody mm. uh, when you have a large group. But if you can cut back in other areas, you can kind of make those allowances. Um, yeah. And I, when it comes to decor, honestly, like less is more. Less wow. is chic, right? Yeah. Um, there's nothing wrong with being very simple. And I think, you know, when it comes to things like your wedding table decor, which is one of the big focus areas, you know using the basic standard linens that come with your, you know, come with your package at your venue. White is chic. It's minimal. You don't have to do anything overly fancy. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's the nice thing of, uh, about, Minimalism is the the bones are, are the beauty, and by mm. stripping away the the sort of superfluous decor, you can get down to something that is that is elegant. You know, it's Leonardo da Vinci's uh, line is is uh, simplicity is elegance, or elegance is simplicity. And uh, when we we look at simplifying, quite often what we're talking about is stripping away the ugly layers yeah. to get down to something that is beautiful. Absolutely. I mean, I'm a fan of the more the merrier. I know you are not a fan of that, Josh. <laughs> but uh, you're talking about people. Yeah. I'm talking about people. And, and by the way, and that's what makes the wedding. Go ahead. Cut, cutting the spending in other areas allows you more room for the the, yeah. the better more, which for you would be more people. Yeah. And minimalism, it has nothing to do with the number of anything. I mean, yeah. it has to do with li- living intentionally, being intentional with your everyday decisions or your grandiose decisions, like, like having a wedding. So yeah, invite as many people as you feel appropriate. I mean, that's, that's what it comes down to. And, and, I will ask you this though, Jess. Like, it does seem that we we do tend to overall invite too many people. As I mentioned earlier, if I look at photos from that first wedding, which I'd have to find them digitized somewhere in the cloud, but they're, they're out there. If I were to look at that, mm. I, I would just question like, who are these people and why did I spend so much money uh, taking care of them, feeding and watering them? Yes, mm. absolutely. I agree. I, I look back on my wedding and I had 150 guests there. Mm. I did not get to spend intentional time with every person there. And mm. so at the end of the day, like they came to witness us exchange our vows, but I didn't get quality time with everyone who mm. was there. And so I really encourage couples to be uh, like ruthless, honestly, with their guest list, because at the end of the day, you know, you're going to remember the people who are in your life for the long haul mm. and just depending on what stage of life you're in like I was 25 when I got married and I was still very much enmeshed in my college group of friends so we had a very big social circle and you invite this person and then you're obligated to invite this person mm. because you invited that person and it just quickly spirals and snowballs out of control and so I think if you can be really intentional about keeping the guest list small it's it's for your benefit. Yeah. Um, and also when you have a smaller guest list, it allows you to spend more per guest. You know, mm-hmm. basically you're taking your budget and you're dividing it up into smaller chunks with mm-hmm. every person you add. So you can make the money go farther if you keep your guest list small as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Carly, I'm going to send you a copy of the Budget Savvy Wedding Planner and Organizer. I hope it helps you out on your journey. We have another question here from Amber in Traverse City, Michigan. So my partner and I both have worked in the wedding industry. He's in catering and I've done hair for weddings before. We've both said that if we were ever going to get married, we wouldn't want a normal wedding and we don't need to be legally married. Um, I really like what you guys have said about that. 
And for us, we'd prefer to spend whatever money family wants to dedicate or give to us to traveling internationally together because it's a passion of both of ours. But at some point, we might want to have a party for our families just to, you know, have our families all meet one day and hang out and celebrate us. How could we incorporate minimalist practices into this kind of celebration? And is this something that you guys have, even though you didn't have a normal or a legal uh, marriage or wedding? Ryan, if you don't have a legal marriage, is it an illegal marriage? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, maybe. Uh, (laughs) Well, here's the thing. I mean, let's let's talk about our stance on this real, real quick, because I think this question is ultimately about language, the language that we use. So she used a few th- uh, words here. She talked about instead of having a wedding, she wants to have a party. Well, we already identified a wedding is just a party. Right. And so whatever whatever vernacular you're going to use to describe the ceremonial event that represents the marriage, although we, we have already acknowledged that a wedding is not a marriage and you can have the best wedding and the worst marriage mm-hmm. and vice versa mm-hmm. uh, or they can they, they can both be great uh, or they could both be terrible i suppose <laughs> if, if that that's an option there so um let's talk about our our situation because when she says you're not legally married like i, I didn't have a religious ceremony because um I, I don't belong to a particular religious tradition that would require that mm-hmm. and um, I don't believe I don't I don't like the government's involvement in marriage personally, mm-hmm. and so I'm at, at this weird intersection where I don't n- need. And by the way, the government being involved in marriage is a relatively new thing. You know, George Washington was married, but he wasn't married by the government, right? And, and yet he still had a marriage, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. He just didn't have to go down to the courthouse and fill out a piece of paper. So right. when Ryan and I use the term you know, spouse or wife or marriage, what we're using is a term that describes the type of relationship that we have. It's a a long-term partnership, a long-term commitment. Now, commitment is not birthed out of a piece of paper. We can go sign a piece of paper right now and then go cheat on the person the next day. And I don't mean cheat just in the physical sense, but cheat in all of you. We, we can lie to them. We could steal from them. We could hide things from them. These are all different ways to sort of cheat a relationship. Mm. And, and so, because of the the religious aspect and the governmental aspect, you know, I, I don't have a, a formal piece of paper. I actually have pieces of paper that mean a lot more to our relationship. And Ryan, you do as well. But yeah. uh, I mentioned a moment ago life insurance. You know, to me, that's far more important than having some sort of you know, marriage certificate. Mm. Uh, Such a sexy topic too, uh, uh, life insurance. I know, right? Yeah. It's like, <laughs> and th- in fact, because these things are so unsexy, we almost never talk to them, mm. talk, talk to our significant other about the most important things and so uh, i have 20 year term life insurance ryan has the same and that means and it's 10 times my annual income and and so it's about a hundred dollars a month and uh maybe a little bit less and and what that means is if i die in the next 20 years then bex and ella aren't going to be you know out on the street you know, trying to figure out how they're going to get their next meal or pay their rent or, or, or whatever. And um, I think that that is, to me, one sign of commitment that has nothing to do with just signing a piece of paper. But real commitment is birthed from our everyday actions. And, and so I think that's why this is so appealing to someone like Amber, because too often what we do is we say, I'm going to have this ceremony that represents something, and it can be beautiful. But then we say, well, that was that. I guess I'm committed for life now. Mm. 
But real commitment doesn't look like that. Yeah. It's it's more of a verb where we have to commit every day to that person because otherwise we're in that relationship out of some sort of pious sense of obligation and no one feels good about being in an obligatory relationship. Yeah. Absolutely. And also I think deriving a sense of your identity out of that relationship or being married, mm-hmm. uh, I think is is something that a lot of people like can relate to as yeah. well. So. Yeah. Well, yeah, that, I think that's, fa- that's fascinating because that identity, the reason Ryan and I use that language is that it's, it, these are sounds that we make with our mouth. We say husband, wife, you know, whatever, but like it, it means something to someone else. It's a shortcut to describe the essence of our relationship, but it doesn't describe the totality of the relationship. Uh, Bex and I were having this exercise the other day when she asked me to explain something. She's like, well, I need you to explain it better. And I said, well, try to explain why you love me, mm. right? Mm-hmm. And and are you a words of affirmation person? Uh, <laughs> no, no. Uh, really, what I was trying to explain to her is that you can't. You, you can only use language. Language only goes so far. Yeah. And and so she could say, "Well, I love you because you're six two, and um, I, you know, I, I really like your hair, and uh, I think you have a handsome face." <laughs> And I like your biceps. She likes looking at <laughs> I like your biceps. <laughs> like, you, could, you could name a dozen, two dozen, three dozen things. Yeah. But then say you have three dozen things. There are millions of people who fit that 36 item criteria. Yeah. And so it's not the essence. I mean, it's, it's not the, the totality, rather, of our relationship. You can't describe love with a ser- series of checklists. It's just the same way we can't describe a marriage. So what we do is we do our best to use language as a shortcut to communicate with other people. So if it's helpful for people uh, in this different setting, I could say my partner. Uh, I call Ella my daughter. She's my stepdaughter, but I call her my daughter because I raise her mm-hmm. and, or help raise her. And, and all of that is just language to help explain to other people the the essence of of that thing. Yeah, I like the idea uh, she has here. Amber has of having a party. Um, Mariah and I have actually thought about doing something like this, just bringing the families together. Um, and you're all invited if yeah, you're a Patreon supporter. Ex- exactly. Only the VIPs are invited. Well, on Zoom, they can all attend from oh. anywhere. <laughs> yes, that's what we'll do. A Zoom party. That's 300 a, patrons just man, unsubscribe. That would, that would be yeah. That would be. <laughs> That would be uh, super affor- affordable. You guys I imagine. would be surprised at how like meaningful and and heartfelt it is to watch people on Zoom though getting yeah. married. I've attended I've, a couple I've, now. So. I've, a, I've attended a couple things uh, on Zoom, like a cocktail party, a magic show, just a couple things that I was. It was a it was a pretty awesome substitute for the real thing. I think I still prefer the face-to-face interaction sure. but but okay so when it comes to this minimalist party you tell me jessica if this is the way to approach it i would think if it was mariah and i i her and i would decide first off like what can we afford so let's say our budget's five thousand bucks mm-hmm. like and then we would start to work our way backwards from what that budget is is that a good place to start yeah, I think so. Uh, I, d- I definitely think it's important to kind of have a drop dead number of like, mm. I don't want to spend more than this. Yeah. And it should be based on what you can realistically afford, whether it's yeah. what's in your savings account right now or what you can save up in the time between now and when the event is actually going to happen. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, thinking through the big things like how many people are going to attend and the venue is going to mm-hmm. be the biggest things you kind of need to figure out to see if you're going to be able to accomplish what you want to on the budget that you have. Yeah. I was uh, in Pasadena and there's this like Ritz Carlton there. 
and for the ballroom for the wedding room it's like a it's like six figures to rent this room out for a room for a room yeah you just mentioned the venue made me think about that um yeah, but hey, what are the, you've seen some really lavish weddings, I'm I'm sure in in your line of work. Um, what are some of the most ridiculous things that you see people spend money on? I mean, it's hard to to talk about without not sounding like super judgmental about it, but I am kind of a little bit about mm-hmm. just like the over extravagance. Um, but I I would say the craziest things I've heard of people doing are things like you know the champagne fountains or Mm. personalized everything where like guests get gift bags full of stuff when they arrive you know it's just it's wonderful if you have the money for that sort of thing absolutely do it like Mm -hmm. I I don't begrudge anybody who actually has the money to spend and that's how they choose to spend it like more power to you um, in theory Mm. but um, yeah, as long as they're doing it with intention right not just spending money for the sake well I'm gonna spend a million dollars on this wedding right right it should be on things that you value and that are meaningful to you and should come from a place of like heartfelt generosity and not like obligation kind of like what you said before yeah Yeah. amber i really love the idea that you are trying to live an unconventional life and that's why you're asking these questions you're asking the right questions for the right reasons living an unconventional life in the face of the status quo and the status quo is what to go $35,000 into debt to have this wedding that you're not going to enjoy and the people who go there <laughs> don't want to enjoy either. But the, the champagne fountain. <laughs> <laughs> and got to have it. Yeah, and so so I, I really like that you're asking these questions. I'm going to send you a copy of our book, Everything That Remains. It, it is really about these two guys, me and Ryan, who started questioning the status quo, living an unconventional life, which really just means an intentional life because intentional especially these days, is unconventional. Mm -hmm. So let's send you a copy of Everything That Remains. If you like our podcast, you'll like the audiobook version of Everything That Remains. It's my favorite thing that we've ever written. But uh, also, uh, if you don't want the audiobook, we're happy to send you the book book or the ebook version of Everything That Remains. Ryan, what time is it? You know what time is it? It is. (laughs) You know what time is it? (laughs) It is time for our lightning round where we answer your text messages. Text your questions and comments to 937-202-4654. Yes, indeed. Also, if you just text a smiley face emoji to that number, 937-202-4654, we will send you every Monday our Monday morning minimal maximum via text message. These are just little pithy ways to start your week off with a a bit of simplicity. You can also ask us questions there. Ryan and I, those texts literally go to both of our phones and we answer, we respond to as many of them as we can. We even respond to some on the podcast. Now, just during the lightning round, this is where Ryan and I and our guests, we do our best to answer questions with a short shareable, less than 140 character response little tweetable responses and we put the text to these minimal maxims in the show notes so people can copy and share our pithy answers on social media if they like and now you can find all of our minimal maxims in one place minimalmaxims.com ryan we got a question from april all right what is the etiquette for the appropriate size and cost of wedding gifts now i do have a pithy answer but we tend to ramble on a little bit anyway. So my pithy answer for April's question about etiquette and and size of wedding gifts is expectations are an anchor of discontent. Mm. So I think if we are expecting a certain number of of what, by the way, I I got some of the worst wedding gifts. I think the expectations from the other people are often really strange. I had four bread makers. Four, 
I don't wow. register for any of those bread makers. I don't eat bread. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah. Wow. And so four people independently decided to buy you a to bread maker. Bread yes. Makers. Yeah. And I think it's like again, this is. I don't know if they were registered anywhere. So that's that's kind of the yeah. That, Honestly, I couldn't tell you. Wow. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. But but what what I do know is we got those and. I would never even... I'm sure Carrie used it once, one of them once for something. <laughs> I don't know if we returned the others. I, it was so unintentional. And so I think there's something about expectations here where uh -huh. we have too many expectations for what we want, but then also we have other people have these weird expectations. Like, it's a wedding. I guess I should buy a bread maker. Apparently, that's a popular gift, at least from the sample size of one. Yeah. Now, Jess, the... the 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 thought of of wedding gifts we have something in our minimalist rule book um, at theminimalists.com slash rulebook it's just a free ebook that people can download and one of the rules in there has to do with gift or there's two rules actually there's a gift giving the minimalist gift giving rule and then there's the minimalist gift getting rule ah. which is fascinating because as the minimalist what we say is if you want better gifts you have to ask for better gifts because quite often what we do and people think that was minimalist we're just going to say bah humbug don't give me any gifts well that's that's inconsiderate to the people who want to add value to your life. Mm. And so I don't think gift giving is a love language, but I think contribution is a love language. And sometimes people want to add value to your life by giving you a gift. So instead of telling them no, tell them what you're saying yes to. Now a gift registry is, is one way to do that. But what are some of the best gift registries that, that you've seen? What are some of the best gifts that people ask for? Well, I think especially for people who are on the more minimalist side of things, a great option for them would be an experience registry or a honeymoon registry. Um, if they value experiences over things, it's such a popular choice for couples right now to awesome. register on sites like HoneyFund um, is one of the more popular ones and couples can go on and they can list specific things that they want to do together and it's a it's a, a combination where you can add physical items as well if there are certain things that you want but you can break it down as granular as you want to um, from like we want to do a massage on our honeymoon in Bora Bora or whatever, wherever you're going. Yeah. Um, and Wichita. Yeah. And your <laughs> guests can just like log on and contribute to, towards those specific things. Um, wow. So that like helps, I think, the guests feel like they're giving something specific, which is which is good, especially for like, I think, the older folks uh, and in families and stuff like that. Uh, but it's a really great option. And then couples get to you know, take the trip that they really want or have those experiences that they really want rather than just accumulating more stuff. Mm, yeah. um, but I do think that setting up some sort of registry is super important to yeah. your point that you don't get anything that you don't actually want. Right. You have to give them options and let them know what you do want so mm. you don't get what you don't want. <laughs> yeah. it's a, The registry thing is interesting to me because it feels like okay, you can buy me gifts, but here's a list of the things that you can buy me. But it also makes sense for a married couple who they're starting out, so they need items. Uh, but but to ask for like the specific, and if you don't want to get me any of these and don't get me any gifts, it just, I don't know, there's something weird there. But I, I, I do get it in the same token. Well, if you uh, don't do it, you'll end up with four bread makers. Right. <laughs> That's a good point. Um, I had a friend who got married. I was in their wedding uh, last year or the year before, but they did like a GoFundMe. And I was like, oh, this is genius. Yeah. Like it was just like literally like on the presence table, it just said, 
you know, if, yeah, please, if you want to contribute to our wedding, go here and mm -hmm. uh, maybe it was on the invitation or something. But yeah, I thought that was a good idea too. I like having both options, having a GoFundMe, which is sort of like this, this sort of blanket, you know, all, all inclusive thing. Mm -hmm. But then there are some people that really want to buy you one thing specific. Mm -hmm. And so instead of giving you a bread maker, they can buy you a massage, mm -hmm. uh, which is probably actually cheaper than the bread maker. <laughs> right. And mm -hmm. I'm going to get so much more value from it as well. And so I, I love the idea of having both options. Yeah. You got for some sure. pithy for us, Ryan? I do. Uh, my pithy answer is this. Gift giving is not a shortcut to love. And I think often we look at, uh, yeah, getting someone a gift. It's like this, oh, here, look, I love you. And um, that's, that, is not, that is not love. Love is, is showing up. It's being there for that person. It's supporting that person. So, you know, maybe when you're setting expectations for those gifts, if someone can't afford a gift, just ask for their support. Mm. That's the best way to show love. Yeah, the, the materialistic transaction is how we often treat love, mm -hmm. but, but love is not transactional, right? It is transcendent, mm -hmm. and that's why we talk about language, and we talk about gift-giving and all these things, but love is, is so much more than that. Now, you can show that you want to add value to someone's life mm -hmm. with a gift, but in order to do that, you have to be very intentional with a gift. Otherwise, it does the opposite. It's actually being inconsiderate if you get me a bread maker and you know I don't eat bread or you didn't even happen to ask the question. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and to the point of or of the question about etiquette, mm -hmm. I think a lot of people in certain areas of the country, especially like I know I have family on Long Island in New York and it's very much like, a, oh, we spent X amount of dollars per head for every guest there. So people want to know that so they know how to give like an appropriately oh. valued gift. Hmm. And I would argue that like gift gifting and the spirit of being generous and heartfelt with your gifts shouldn't be like a tit for tat like transaction. Yeah. Um, it should come from a place of like heartfelt generosity and you want to give them something to add value to their life. And yeah. it shouldn't necessarily have to stick to a certain dollar amount, especially if it's outside of your budget. Yeah. It's like, oh, okay, they spent a hundred dollars on each person, so I need to give a gift that's a uh, hundred dollars or more. I yeah. mean, yeah, that yeah, I totally agree. That's it probably really not the is right like approach. that though. The expectation wow. in some areas of the country, it's like a very like societal pressure kind of thing. Wow, for sure, man, it makes me so happy that Mariah and I are not planning a wedding. <laughs> oh, that's important. So, so last thing to talk about here is being on the same page mm. and and sometimes you, you're not going to be on the same page you're going to have different beliefs from from your significant other in fact that's quite often what makes a relationship uh passionate right is having different interests or different beliefs you want to make sure you have the same values and we, we talk about this uh, we have a values worksheet the minimalists.com slash values it's free you can download it but if you have the same values you're still gonna have different beliefs which means from time to time or maybe a lot of the time, you're going to be on different pages. Mm -hmm. And then the key is to find the page in which you can meet in the middle. We call that compromise. Now, you don't want to sacrifice your values, but you can compromise those beliefs to try to meet someone on the same page. All right, before we get into our listener tips and our added value segment today, I'm going to do a little reading for you today on the added value segment. It looks like we got a bunch more surprise questions this week, like how do you plan a debt-free wedding? What are the best ways to scale down a wedding? Also, we're going to talk about wedding stress. We're going to talk about DIY weddings. We're going to talk about family expectations and streamlining expenses and simple ceremonies and, and outfits. 
That's why Ryan's wearing a tuxedo <laughs> right now. My tuxedo shirt. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to talk about uh, different gift ideas other than bread makers. And we're going to talk about the illusion that everything can be perfect. Plus, mm. we've got a million more questions for the budget-savvy bride, Jess. Uh, and if you want to hear all that, check out our Maximal episode on the Minimalist Private Podcast. It's a completely separate podcast. It's just two bucks, and it's the most honest way for the minimalist to earn an income because we don't believe in advertisements. Head on over to theminimalists.com slash support and get your personal link so that our Maximal episodes play in your favorite podcast app. It's a separate podcast. It'll show up right there in that podcast app, right next to the Minimalist Podcast. They're just longer episodes, and really this is where we let our hair down. We get to talk about things that we wouldn't usually talk about in public. Ryan, what else you got for us this week? Here are some voicemail comments and tips from our listeners. Check them out. Hey there, this is Anna from Minnesota, and I have a tip for anyone getting married that doesn't need a bunch of household gifts. I'm currently planning my own wedding and was kind of dreading the registry process until I found out about a website called Honey Fund. This website allows couples to register for honeymoon expenses such as hotels, flights, and all the fun stuff like wine or beer tours or parasailing. You can customize it however you'd like and your loved ones can pay for parts of your honeymoon right on the site through PayPal account. It's a very easy process for both the couple and the guests and it's taken a lot of stress out of our own wedding planning process. Hey, Josh and Ryan, this is Helen from Old Town, Maine. I'm one of those people that absolutely hates putting something in the garbage that still has life in it just because no one has a need for it. Old, torn-up clothes included. This month, I'm going to a developing country on a Christian medical mission trip. What I've been doing is I've been taking some old jeans that I no longer use with really tattered bottoms, cutting them capri length, and using the denim to make hacky sacks. I then hem the capris so they don't look tattered. I'm planning to bring the hacky sacks down with me as a group game that will be a gift for some of the kiddos we help out, and I can wear the capris while I'm down there, and then leave them for someone who needs them after I'm done using them. This way, perfectly good jeans are not ending up in a landfill, I'm getting rid of excess stuff, someone gets a pair of capris, and a whole bunch of kids that don't have money for or access to toys will get um, hacky sacks to play with. It's a win all around. All right, y'all. Let's say thanks again to Jessica Bishop for joining yes. us today. Thanks check so much out, for being here. Check out her book. It is called The Budget Savvy Wedding Planner and Organizer. We'll put a link to it in the show notes. You can also find her on her website, thebudgetsavvybride.com. Also Instagram, Twitter, and her Facebook group as well. We'll put a link to all of that in the show notes um, for added value this week. Um Ryan, actually, last I think it was last week or two weeks ago, I recommended American Affairs to you. Yes, because we're so bogged down with news now. Yeah, like we, we I don't know what's important anymore with headlines yeah. and clickbait. Well, there's no clickbait here. In fact, um, this is a this, have you heard of this? It's a quarterly no, journal. Oh, let's look at this. It's, um, look at this, Ryan. Po- it's about policy specifically. Oh, whoa! We got did our, did, lo- our uh, did did you do this or did our publisher do this? Dave did it. That's beautiful. Um, so we have the if you're watching this on YouTube. Love people use Check things. Check out that bookmark. It's amazing. Bookmark. And uh, I think we'll probably do, like, we'll do these for anyone who pre-orders that book. Makes once me it's feel available. like uh, American Psycho when they're comparing business cards. <laughs> <laughs> Look at the stock. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> yeah. So the uh, this book is, or not a book, it's a quarterly journal called American Affairs. I just want, I forgot to bring it in last time, but um, you can't have this because Bex is still reading it. 
but lame thanks bex yeah so um basically in terms of the news i think too often where we get caught up in this 24-hour news cycle but mm. these are long-form essays by people all over the political spectrum and what i what i love about that is um, it's a deep dive and it challenges my own thoughts, my own opinions, my own beliefs in ways that either help me solidify my point of view, it helped me expand on my point of view, or sometimes changes my mind about certain things. You know, you said the 24 hour news cycle, but like I'll get caught in the five minute news cycle, mm -hmm. man. Twitter news cycle. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah, it's, yeah, it's very distracting sometimes. So, speaking of that, I've, you know, I've, I've been reading a lot less online, a lot more in print and on, on my Kindle. And, you and I often talk, Ryan, about sometimes we need to remove the things that add value to our life before we can decide whether or not we want to bring them back in. Yeah. So in our minimalist rule book, one of the rules in there is called the no junk rule. Mm -hmm. And what we do is we say everything that you own can be can fit into one of three piles. It's either a necessary or essential item, a truly essential item, non-essential or junk. Well, the problem is that we all have the pretty much the same essential needs, food, uh, shelter, basic clothing. We all have those those needs. Champagne fountains. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and then we have the, the non-essentials, which are the things that truly add value to our life. But you know, we could probably get by without them. Uh, I don't necessarily need a couch or a dining table. I would live without them. Yeah. But they augment or enhance my experience of life. And so that's a non-essential. And then the third category is what most of us own most of is junk. Yeah. And we pretend these items often masquerade as, as things that add value to our lives. That's we can second, justify third, anything. and fourth bread maker. <laughs> <laughs> we talk about junk. The first one was junk for me. Yeah. And, and that's actually a good lesson though, right? Because sometimes the thing that's junk for me, like someone else could use that bread maker every day and get immense value from it. Yeah. Now there are other times though where I will temporarily deprive myself. I will get rid of even the non-essentials, the things that add value to my life for a temporary period of time. And this is a, a really good example. So I used to subscribe to the Paris Review, which is a, a quarterly journal that has a lot of fiction and poetry and there's also a few literary interviews and stuff. I like doing this kind of long form reading um, because it's some of the most talented writers and it's almost like getting the, it's like going to a sample uh, a place that just has like sample platters. It's like a topless restaurant. There we go. But for literature. Mm. And so you get a little I bit like of, that analogy. Thank you. <laughs> and, and so like you, you get some of these you know, phenomenal writers, whether it's Mary Carr or Matt Summel or, or just different people who, who write really well and you get these little snippets and, and if you want to explore them further, you can buy entire books from them or whatever separately. But I unsubscribed from the Paris Review is because I was reducing my subscriptions a few years ago because we mm -hmm. automatically subscribe to way too many things. And before we know it, we have $200 a month worth of subscriptions mm -hmm. to Netflix and Hulu and Disney Plus and Quibi and Wigwam and CISO. Yeah, didn't no. Quibi, Quibi went out of business, didn't they? No, right? they've got billboards all over the place. I know. I just read an article, though, about how, and it doesn't matter. No, no, I think they're, they're still around. Okay. And they're, they're still giving it a shot. Okay. Um, anyway, I got rid of the Paris Review and I, I I said, you know what? I want to. I think that I, I really miss this, and it's been a couple years now. And my experience of each morning, Bex and I will turn on our our playlist, and we'll just like sit down and read for fifteen to thirty minutes, and drink some coffee. And I missed reading the, these sort of long form pieces, whether it was fiction or nonfiction. Anyway, in the the latest issue, it's issue two thirty three. We'll put a link to it in the show notes. There is this piece in here from what is her name? Sarah, Sarah Mangusso, and 
It is called Perfection. And I don't really know how to describe it. I'm just going to read a few lines from it. But I, it's really like this, this mirror in a way. I, I kind of see myself. I see my flaws in this person. I, I don't know if this is a memoir or if it's like flash fiction or if it's poetry or if it's all of the above. It's sort of autobi uh, autobiography. It, it's all of these things. But it's almost like she wrote the story one minimal maxim at a time. Mm. So e each line is so very well considered. That's why it almost feels like like poetry. Anyway, uh, I was talking to Sean. We were hanging out this weekend and uh, he has a family member who is uh, struggling with uh, trying to get everything perfect as we all do. I'm a perfectionist, right? And clearly this author is a perfectionist as well. I can and relate it, to that as well. <laughs> the perfectionism. And it, it, I think that doesn't that in terms of weddings, that really, um, that stifles and makes the whole process not enjoyable when we are just trying to make everything perfect. Mm. How many brides do you know and brides' mothers do you know that are stressed out of their minds while they're planning a wedding? So mm. many. Yeah. I think there it, there's this, this illusion that you can achieve some sort of perfection on your wedding day. Yeah. And uh, it just adds in a lot of pressure. Yeah. It's unfortunate when people are like, when this is perfect. That's when I can be happy. Yeah. You can just be happy now. Yeah. Enjoy the process. Right. Yeah. And, and you're not going to get to perfect, but you can work toward a more ideal version. That's called improvement or growth, you know, yeah. responsible growth. Anyway, here's a few lines from this. At the 25th reunion, a, a presentiment of the grave, now all the girls from your high school class have borne the last of their children. It was just a standalone paragraph. Mm. And it just made me think about like, this This person's obviously getting older as we are getting older, as we are all getting older. Mm. It doesn't work the opposite way. No one is immune. Yes. <laughs> I, I can't believe we've been doing this for like, going on 10 years now. I know. It's crazy. It'll be 10 years in a couple months. Yeah, it's yeah, wild. It is wild. Uh, all right, here's another line for you. True happiness is, relinqu is relinquishing one's sense of entitlement to it. Mm. That's, mm. that's good. That is good. So, quite often, I think we feel entitled to happiness. Yeah. But even in the Constitution uh, uh, or you know, Declaration, we don't talk about the the entitlement to happiness. We talk about the pursuit of happiness, right? Mm. You just talked about enjoying the process. Mm. That's really what the pursuit of happiness is: is is the process. Yeah. And and so, true happiness is relinquishing one's sense of entitlement to it. Here's a, a slightly longer passage. A passenger jet dives into the ocean and bobs up to float on its side. Through the little window, I can see the calm passengers chatting and drinking from their little cups, parents holding their children. As I watch the plane sink, I wonder at their, I wonder at their courage and calm. After I wake up, I realize they may not, they may not know yet what, that they've crashed. The passengers, classmates, ex-friends, ex-lovers should all be dead to me. But I watch their lives continue as I lurk on their Facebook pages, studying photos of them sitting in restaurants, toasting in the very best of times, going bald and doughy, holding their wine glasses up toward the lens. In their world, they are still alive. Mm. In the beginning, I eagerly, offered, I, I eagerly offered myself up for punishment. Then I got older and pretended I'd been in control all along, directing those who had hurt me, telling them what to do. There isn't enough money in the world for me to do that, I think. But then I remember what I've already done for free. That's so true. Mm. Like we are our own punishers. Yeah. Um, the 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 baggage that we are carrying, we don't realize we picked it up. And what I love about this is there are many people that we that continue to stick around in our lives that are sort of 
And I don't mean this in a pejorative way, and neither did the author, I don't think, but they're, they're dead to us now. The people I mentioned from my wedding from mm-hmm. um, uh, almost 20 years ago, yeah. um, they're dead to me, not in, in a literal sense, but I don't keep up with them. Mm-hmm. If they scroll my Facebook feed at the once a quarter I get on there, all of a sudden they're sort of reincarnated for a moment, but then they're gone again and i think we give too much important to too much importance to that and what happens is we forsake the people closest to us because we're we're constantly looking in that rear view instead of looking forward so many desires can now be satisfied quickly that it seems all desires should be satisfied quickly capitalism wants you to consume more and faster but the speed at which thought develops or at which trust develops has not changed i reassure myself but what if it has so I'm going to leave the rest of uh, that for you all to read if you want to check it out. It's the newest issue of the Paris Review, uh, issue 233. We'll put a link to the Paris Review in the show notes. Uh, real quick for right here, right now, one thing that's going on in the life of the minimalist. You may not know this, but all three of our current books, Minimalism, Everything That Remains, and Essential, are available as audiobooks. So our longest one, which is Essential, is about six hours long. Our shortest one, which is Minimalism, is, I don't know, maybe two and a half hours long. Mm-hmm. And then uh, everything that remains is somewhere in between four hours or so, probably. And you can check those out on Audible or iTunes or wherever you get audiobooks. People often ask us, what order do you recommend reading them in? Because I just read them in any order. And yes, you could if you wanted to. But the most ideal order is you start with everything that remains, then read minimalism, then read essential. It's the why, the what, and the how. Why to, what to, how to. Everything that remains minimalism essential. If you want to check those books out, they're available as audiobooks. We'll put a link to those in the show notes. You can follow The Minimalist on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at The Minimalist. Follow Jessica at uh, on uh, Instagram. She's at Budget Savvy Bride. And on Twitter, she's at Savvy Bride. You can follow her there. Come see one of our live podcast shows. Visit theminimalists.com slash tour to find a city near you. If you have a question, comment, or minimalism tip for our podcast, email a voice memo to podcast at theminimalists.com. You can comment on this episode at youtube.com slash theminimalistpodcast. I think that's right. Um, (laughs) Or slash theminimalist. We have two YouTube channels now. Check them both out if you'd like. Uh, You can comment on this episode. uh, Oh, I already said that. YouTube.com slash theminimalist. And if you want our show notes in your inbox, sign up for our email list over at theminimalists.com. You'll also receive our simple Sunday emails whenever we send those. And if you leave here today with just one message, we hope it's this. Love people and use things because the opposite never works. Thanks for listening, y'all. We'll see you next time. Every little thing you think that you need Every little thing you think that you need Every little thing that's just feeding your greed Oh, I bet that you'd be fine without it